This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Third feet. Third feet. It is Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, got a special guest, huh? Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Glove Stories with Murph, presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and the good folks at Red Robin. And today's guest spent parts of four decades in Major League Baseball, a 25-year career that uh, spanned over the course of those four decades uh, with eight different teams, but many of those great years right here in Philadelphia. Of course, I'm talking about our good friend, Jamie Moyer, who I haven't seen in a little bit. It's good to see you, Jamie. Good to see you, Murph. Thanks so much for being here. And I'm going to start with a little bit of a pop quiz for you, because I want to know if you know the answer to this. Where were you on October 22nd, 1980? Uh, Probably at a parade. That's exactly right. What what do you remember about that? You were 18 years old. The Phillies had just won their first World Series. You're a local kid, a ball player, obviously. Uh, What do you remember about that day? Uh, it was kind of crazy. Um, you know, people were climbing on the lights. We were, we, you know, we had come down on the subway, got off at the ballpark. Um, you know, just kind of mulling around with everybody else, you know, 18 year old kids. And we you know it was an exciting time and we knew it was a parade and it was just fun to be a part of it. Um, you know, that street corner, that whole area was a little different then than it is right now, right? Yeah. You got Xfinity and the Spectrum was there and the vet was there. So, you know, the you know, the visual, you know, that I'm having is a lot different than probably a lot of people that, you know, people that remember that have are having that same yeah. visual. Yeah. But you know, the younger generation's probably like, What? What was that? <laughs> you know. It did yeah, look it was a little a different day. You know, we were kind of all over the place and we kind of went down with a group of kids, but we, you know, we got dispersed and scattered and, you know, it was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, then you fast forward uh, to, to 2008, which we'll get to in a little bit, but uh, uh, a similar scene, but at that moment, probably hard for you to even begin to imagine maybe not even, not only a major league career, like the one that you had, but uh, also being a part of a parade that many years later as, as a player here in Philadelphia, um, when you, you're, you're 18, you're, you're about to embark on your college career. What, what was, uh, what was Jamie Moyer thinking about uh, at that time in terms of a ball player and where he hoped to be one day? Well, how, how cool would it have been to be in a parade someday? <laughs> yeah. right? You know, you're at that parade. The other thing I forgot to mention the uh, the clothing styles were a little different then, <laughs> right? I think there were uh, I think several of the players had some long overcoats, like leather overcoats on, and yeah, top hats, and yeah, it was it was a little different. But you know, back to your question, um, yeah, you know, I, you know, look as a kid or as, and we all dream, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you get into these situations whether you're at home laying in bed or you're out on a baseball field playing or you're at a parade, you know, and, and, you know, these are things that you enjoy and you like, and you think, wow, how cool would that be to have the shoe on the other foot? And, um, you know, I, I had no idea, you know, that would potentially ever happen. Um, but you know, having that opportunity to go to St. Joe like yourself, um, and, you know, have uh, three great years at St. Joe, and then get drafted from there. And, you know, that this picture just kind of evolved over, you know, several years and, you know, who would have thunk, you know, at the end of my career, I would have ended up in Philadelphia. Number one, uh, number two, you know, piggybacking on a, on a, on a team, an old man piggybacking on a team that, (laughs) uh, you know, wins a world series. I'm not sure piggybacking is the right word. I think you're a pretty big part of what was happening in there. But uh, but like I said, we'll get to that in just a little bit. I, w- I want to take you back to those days at St. Joe's. Yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. Both of us uh, were able to enjoy great years at St. Joe's. You um, as a student athlete, me just as a student, not really a good one either, but, but certainly <laughs> enjoyed my time uh, at St. Joe's. But 
as you progressed through your three years there um, with the Hawks, I mean, obviously at that time, not known for their baseball program per se, and uh, their program's come a long way in recent years. But uh, back then, you know, you kind of were, were as, as you often did, were kind of grinding it out and, and, and keeping your eyes on the prize and keeping your eyes on that next step. And uh, it, it enabled you that stepping stone to get drafted, right? Yeah, you know, I did it probably a little differently than most. You know, I my grades weren't the greatest out of high school. So, you know, I ended up having to go to night school to prove to the school that I could do the work. Uh, you know, I went to school my first semester in night school. So I worked at home and commuted to school. And I actually went to practice before I went to school, believe it or not. So I worked till lunch, came home, had some lunch, drove down to our field. Uh, the polo fields in Bryn Mawr at the time is the fields we were using Yep. and, um, you know, practice and then jumped in the car, drove to the school parking lot outside the, you know, the, the, the gym. That's usually where I parked and uh, changed in the car, ate my uh, bologna sandwich in the car, grabbed my books and uh, went into class from usually about uh, six o'clock till about nine, nine thirty, and then drove home. You know, attempted to do some homework and got up the next day and did it all over again. Right. You know, and then, you know, obviously after my fall semester, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I cut it where I could, you know, or not cut it, but I mean, I, I made the grade mm -hmm. and was able to transfer into, you know, into the day school and uh, had a spring baseball, you know, season. And from there, you know, it was it, the rest is history. You know, it's funny when you stop to think about that and, you know, everybody has a story, no matter what, where life has taken exactly. them and all <laughs> of those little things, the, the, the idea yep. that, Hey, you had to, you had to prove at that age that, that you yep. deserve to be at St. Joe's. And then, you know, throughout your career, I would imagine just that little bit of, of learning about what you're capable of uh, was really important moving forward. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the challenges in life and it's, it's how you deal with those challenges and how you, accept or deny them and what you're going to do with it how you know and again you know there was no script written for this you know if you do the a b and c this is going to happen let's yeah. just do a let's focus on a and see where the chips fall you know and and having that opportunity you know to go to saint joe which then allowed me to play you know collegiate baseball in the summer you know i ended up playing for the a team called the allentown allentown wings which no longer exists but they went from allentown to quakertown and I got some exposure there, um, played with uh, Jeff Trout, Mike Trout's dad, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of other guys, you know, Billy Sousselman from Kutztown State, uh, kids from the Midwest, kids from the South, um, and, and Matt Kinzer, who was a second round, he was the punter at Purdue, and he was a second round pick of the Cardinals. So, I mean, and now, you know, now you're playing with, you know, some better talent, right. and you kind of see where you fit. Um, and you know, again, that continues to push and drive and, you know, creates that, you know, dangling that carrot in front of you to, to continue to go and realizing that, Hey, maybe I can play with these guys. Yeah. And, and, and you certainly, you know, so you spend three years at St. Joe's, you get drafted in 1984, sixth round, um, out of, out of St. Joe's. What do you, do you remember? Uh, were you pretty certain that you were going to get drafted, uh, as early as you did? Uh, no, I had no idea that I was okay. going to be a sixth round pick. I was told maybe 10th, 12th, 15th round, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. It really wouldn't have. It, it's all about, you know, looking back on it. It's all about opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when you have an opportunity, you have to be prepared or you have to be able to shift gears really quickly. And, you know, again, you know, learning how to learn, learning how to be a good listener, learning how to take some chances and knowing how and when to take those chances. And you, you don't, you don't always succeed, um, but you, you learn. And I think if you have the willingness to be able to learn and get better and listen to people that you can, that you respect or have come before you that have done some things um, and, you know, using these, using these and using this is, is really important. And uh you know, those opportunities continue to happen. You know, I go to a, a mini spring training in Mesa, Arizona. I had never been west of the Mississippi in my life. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, a, you know, an eye opener. And, you know, now I'm playing with kids from all over the country. And, 
you know, going there think, feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't play with these caliber kids that have, you know, back then, you know, high school teams in Texas were playing 50 and 60 games, right? Right. College baseball was playing in the spring. I want to say it was 60, 65 games. You know, at St. Joe, we, if we were lucky, we played 30. Yeah. And that was a good year based on weather. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, no you know, there were so many very, you know, but now getting there and realizing that, oh my gosh, I can play. And I can, you know, again, it's just another one of those little baby steps, you know, and, and then, and then you learn the system. You know, I was with the Cubs, you learned the system and it was the Cubs way. And, you know, you had to walk to the ballpark, you had to walk home. It was hot. You had to wear, you, there was a dress code. I mean, all these little details that you had to pay attention to, I think were part of uh, what I, the, the learning process I had and, and what kind of molded me um, from when I was molded at home, you know, mm -hmm. by my parents and, and in high school and at St. Joe. And, you know, these are all little stepping stones as you move forward in life. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the discipline that you needed in all of those different facets at home with mom and dad, and then working your way into St. Joe's and then at St. Joe's and now in the minor leagues, all those little discipline points, they, you know, those are the kind of things that build you up and, and make you the kind of person and the kind of player that you were. And certainly you were a guy, you just mentioned it, you know, using your ears and your eyes to, to learn from the people who, who have gone before you, you've always been someone that's been able to do that. Um, who are some of the guys, I mean, you're talking, you're, you're, you're 20, 21, 22 years old, uh, you know, getting, figuring out your way in the professional baseball world. Who, do you remember some of those guys that really kind of pushed you in the right direction? Maybe, um, maybe good and, and bad, perhaps. My first manager, Tony Franklin, um, you know, was a, a great man. He was, he ended up being, you know, he was an infield guy by trade. And it was a feisty little guy, you know, and, you know, he could really, he could, you know, I remember, you know, him early in our season and I was in Geneva, New York and early in our season after a game, we didn't play well. He pulled everybody in and we had all these little, these little barstool seats and, or, you know, little stools in front of our, you know, lockers. And, you know, this is a little guy. We had some pretty big pitchers on our team. And he went around and he put his finger in everybody's face and he challenged everybody. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, we're going to have a fight. You know, I mean, it's it just and he just, you know, but it was it, it was kind of a show, but it was also kind of a challenge. Right. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, this is my first experience in pro ball kind of, you know, and my season was going pretty good. But he was, you know, I looked at it, you know, this was a team thing, right? And he was trying to get the best out of everybody. And and looking back on it, that's what I took out of it. Um, and my first pitching coach there, Bill Ballou, he was a junior college pitching coach in in New York somewhere. And he did this as a part-time job in the summer. Wow. Uh, really nice man. He had this big, long Fu Manchu mustache, had that New York accent, but just an easy guy to talk to, an easy guy to listen to. And, you know, did he play in the big leagues? No, I don't even know if he had any minor league experience, but he was a good person. Right. So those are my two, you know, two first guys as coaches that I had on a team. And then we had roving instructors, Erskine right. Thomason, who had some Philadelphia Philly ties back in the day. Um, he was our roving pitching coach. Um, and then, you know, I, I move on to double or I go to single A the next year in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And Cal Emery was our manager. Rick Kranitz, who's now the pitching coach with the Atlanta Braves, uh, was our pitching coach. Had just got out of baseball, so he was probably in his late twenties, right? Wow. And was his first time being a pitching coach. And I was with Drew Hall, who was our second round pick. Carl Hamilton, who was a left-handed pitcher who had unbelievable stuff. I thought from Chicago, and I don't know that he ever got past Double A. And I'm thinking, how am I going to? past this guy and eventually i did and yeah. he never you know he kind of fell to the wayside so i mean there was a lot of a lot of talent that i you know not that i compared myself to but i looked up to sure. thinking wow these guys are ahead of me and i passed a lot of those guys and then you start looking well geez you know this guy he was injured or this guy had a bad attitude or this guy struggled when he got in in into tough situations you know, so, I mean, you looking back on it, 
I learned from a lot of those things and, and the conversations you look in the minor leagues, you have yourself and your teammates yeah, and that's it. Right. My first roommates uh, in Geneva, New York was uh, David Amaro, Ruben's brother mm-hmm. and uh, a kid by the name of Rick Hopkins from uh, California, who was a cocky little guy. Um, and you know, that was a good experience, right? You know, different personalities that you're, that you're living with and dealing with and, and you have those on a team and you're riding buses and, you know, it's not the most comfortable, wasn't the most comfortable situation, but you learn to deal with it. Yeah. And you mentioned you have your teammates, you have yourself and you have a whole lot of time on your hands Uh, and and, and what you do at that time goes a long way as to uh, developing the kind of uh, player that you're going to be. Um, you know, you ask the question, how am I going to pass these guys? And eventually you do, and you, you work your way. And in 1986, you, you're, you're a member of the Chicago Cubs. You make your major league debut. Um, were you, do you remember, I'm sure you remember that day when you make your major league debut. Do you remember thinking to yourself, how did I pass those? How am I here? Yeah. Why, you know, and what, yeah, and what, what am I doing here? And <laughs> how is this? I mean, I, and I mean, with really, Within a, two years of baseball time, I was in the major leagues. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, back in that era, you know, you spent four, five, six years in the minor leagues to get to the major leagues. Yeah. But I was, I was fortunate. I was in an organization that was very, uh, very, it was important to them to develop their own players. Because that's that's kind of what the Cubs were doing at Mark. that time, yep. and um, I was kind of not that I unbeknownst to me until I again got a little bit older and kind of looked back on things. I followed another left-handed pitcher through the organization, and his name was name was Steve Engel. Okay, and I thought this guy was pretty talented too, and he got called up to the big leagues. Then I went to AAA. And he didn't stay in the big leagues very long. And he was kind of a little more of a, a mouthy kind of guy. And I think he rubbed some people the wrong way and never really got that chance. So when they sent him down, I got called up. And for whatever reason, I stayed, yeah. you know, and it's not that I threw crazy numbers out there, you know, but I, I, I to, to this day, I don't know why that happened the way it did, um, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, because it was the beginning of uh, what was really a remarkable career in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, when you just, you know, take the longevity away, but still you look at your career and what you were able to accomplish and what you were able to do. um, And obviously culminating with a world championship, uh, you know, all of those things were many, many, many professional ball players will never get the opportunity to do what you were able to do. Um, But it all started there in Chicago. Uh, Was, was Riggleman your manager at the time? He was right. No, no. Uh, My manager, my, my first manager in the big leagues was Gene Michaels first day in the big leagues. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Jim, uh, who was a Jim Fry. No, it wasn't Jim Fry. I'm trying to remember. It might have been Jim Fry got fired. Okay. No, Jim Fry was the general manager. Um, trying to think. Somebody got fired. And Gene, My- I got called up the day that Gene Michael took the helm for the first time. Okay. And it was, uh, it was Jim Fry that got yeah. fired. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then he went to the front office, I believe. Um, so, yeah. So he was my manager. Uh, Bah, 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 bah. I think it was Billy Connors was my first pitching coach okay. in the big leagues. And uh, you see, Ruben Romero Sr. was a coach there. Uh, Vuk was a coach yep. there. Yep. Um, and I believe Johnny Oates was a coach there. Okay. So I eventually played for Johnny Oates down the road in Baltimore. So, you know, so here I go back to, you know, some of my roots. Played with David Romero, you know, my first, you know, minor league season. His dad was our coach or my coach in the big leagues. And then, you know, many years later, Ruben Romero was the assistant general manager and became the manager of the Phillies or, yeah, the general manager of the Phillies. And so I had ties with all three family members. I mean, small world, right? (laughs) Who would have thunk? 
And, you know, and, and along in my journey, I also played with Dallas Green's son, John Green, mm-hmm. when I was with uh, the Cardinals in Louisville. How about that? Um, and I also played with Claude Osteen's son, David Osteen, in Louisville. So, I mean, all these different and I and I had an opportunity when I was in college to go come to the vet uh, one. I would say it was morning or afternoon. And and my coach, George Bennett at St. Joe, had set up an opportunity for me to hang out with Claude Osteen wow. and talk pitching and throw a little bit under underneath the vet. So, I mean, all these little things during my career, they've just kind of they've crossed and they have pieced themselves together. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it, it is. And it was all foreshadowing, pointing you back home, you know, yeah. that, that yeah. at some point you were going to yeah. put on those pinstripes and uh, yeah. and kind of I, I would, you know, relive or live the uh, the boyhood fantasy that you had growing yeah. up just outside of Philly uh, and yeah. watching that team play. Um, you also played with some some great players. You, you know, we were with the Cubs early uh, for a couple of years, Texas, Seattle or not, uh, not yet. Seattle, St. Louis, Baltimore, Seattle. I think was the way it went. Forgot Boston and, and Boston, Boston, yeah, for, for a cup of coffee <laughs> as well. <laughs> but uh, some some really great. I was back looking at some of your teammates and, and some of the yeah. guys that you played with. I mean, a list of Hall of Famers that 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 you played with along the way. Yeah. Um, again, anybody well, jump out at you that that kind I, of you know, made you say, Murph, I, had, I during my career, I had the ch- the chance to play with some really great people. Mm-hmm. and great players yeah and you know i look back to milestones not my milestones but milestones that i was able to witness that right. happened in the game of baseball i played with andre dawson the year he signed a blank contract with the cubs and went out and had an mvp season you want to talk about a, a man who is the most perfect maybe one of the most professional people i've ever been around and a fierce competitor but a great teammate and a great human being that was pretty cool. So, I mean, again, what a great example to, to be around, right? Right. Play with, you know, the Sandbergs, the Dunstans, the Sutcliffs, you know, I mean, that was pretty cool, right? They were, they were in my early days. Then I go to play in Texas and I had the opportunity to play with Nolan Ryan. Well, I think that speaks for itself. You know, another man that had an unbelievable career, Charlie Huff was on that team. Right. And now I go, well, Charlie Huff, yeah, Charlie Huff was a great man. And knowledge in the game was off the charts. So, I mean, again, being around people like that, but witnessing Nolan Ryan's 5,000 strikeout, witnessing Nolan Ryan's uh, 300th career win, you know, you don't see that too often in a lifetime, right? I was, you know, we were teammates. Um, I witnessed a no, uh, one of his no hitters. Pretty cool, right? Yes. And, you know, and, and again, another great person off the field and I, you know, got to hang around with these guys and have dinner with them and, and, or have a beer with them or just sit and talk with them. I mean, it was really, really special to me. And then, you know, a couple years later, who would have thunk, but I'm playing in Baltimore when Cal Ripken is chasing the Ironman streak. And I'm a teammate there where, you know, he breaks Lou Gehrig's streak, you know, and again, what a great person and to watch, that develop and him go through it and be a teammate and how he treated his teammates and how he took everything on and what he did, you know, after games, signing autographs, there were many a nights where I'd be driving out of the ballpark and he'd still be signing autographs in the ballpark. And the line was up through the stands and around part of the concourse. And there were nights he was out signing autographs till two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I mean, it's a real story. Yeah. And you, you know, you got to pinch yourself and say, really, he did that. He did. I That's mean, crazy. and you know, he showed up the next day at the ballpark ready to play. I mean, it's just, but these are all examples of people who were true professionals yeah. Yeah. and knew how to treat people and knew how to play the game. And I mean, it, it, it just, it was, you know, those experiences, you know, I mean, obviously the World Series and playing in Seattle when we won 116 games, they're, they're a lot of fun. Those things were pretty cool, too. But these experiences of being able to rub an elbows with these guys, you know, pitch with Goose Gossage. I mean, for the longest time, you know, this guy was as bad as bad could be as a closer, right? Yep. 
Yep. You know, I mean, play, you know, Lee Smith, you know, back when 90, 90, 91, 92 was hard, right? These guys were closers. I mean, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, I could go on for hours talking about people that I played with and experiences that I had. I, you know, at one, I forget what year it was, 88 or no, was it 98? Maybe I got an opportunity to go to an all-star game in Japan, play on an all-star team that went to Japan and played over there for a week. That was a blast, yeah. you know, to, to go to another country, be in another culture and play against the Japanese players on their turf. Um, but the team that we had, it was like, you know, it was like pinch yourself. You know, you're looking around going all-star, all-star, you know, what am I doing here? Right. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was really cool to, to have these experiences. Do you remember who the manager was of that team? Mike Hargrove. Oh, it was Mike Hargrove. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. That it, it is. It's cool. Especially you go to a, to a country like Japan who, uh, loves baseball and appreciates the game the way that, that they do in their culture, um, you know, understands the game as well as they do. That, that had to be, had to be a blast. Yep. Yeah. 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 No doubt about you know, it. And then, you know, and then, you know, getting towards the end of my career coming to Philadelphia, which, you know, I had no idea that was going to happen, but it did. And, you know, a place where I grew up and, you know, watching the Phillies, and I had met Steve Carlton a couple of times. Obviously, it's well known. You know, he was my idol, but, you know, kind of rubbing elbows with him. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, Jamie, how you doing? You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's really, you know, and then a couple of years ago, I went to the Hall of Fame for, uh, I've been there for two Hall of Fame induction, Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez. Yep. And, you know, I'm walking around inside the Hall of Fame where all the plaques are, and there's Steve Carlton. And I said, hey, Steve, let's go over and take a picture by your plaque. I mean, how cool, how is, cool that? is that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Just, take, I mean, take you back just, to October 22nd, 1980, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, yeah. I mean that, that it is, you know, we're, we're very lucky. I consider myself very lucky to, to be in the world that we're in and, and have a chance to do some of the things that we get to do um, and, and meet the folks that we get to see, but you know, everything you're describing, having that front row seat, the history over yep. and over and over again it's yep. it if you love the game of baseball which i know you do right. you can't help but be excited right. when you think back and, to what you were able right. to see and to me that's what it's about it's about those experiences you know you can't put a money value on them you can't go buy it you know it's just there it's it's in front of you and it's what you do with it or what you take from it or what you give to it you know whatever whatever the situation is and to me, that's the fun part about it. And, it, you know, I can have, you know, do this interview and have this kind of conversation with you and, you know, your listeners can go, oh, you're full of crap or, hey, that's pretty cool. Or, you know, I mean, but I mean, it's it was it's part of it. Right. Yeah. You know, and then obviously, you know, winning the World Series in 08. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's basically the topper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I would imagine it is as a competitor, as a player. I mean, that's what you're you're playing for. You're in the postseason with Seattle two different times, and then you come to Philadelphia 2007. And uh, big, obviously a big part of in 2007, one of the, the great memories is that final day. Uh, and I was, yeah. I was looking yeah. back at an interview that you did uh, shortly thereafter, and uh -huh. um, you talked about – you know, you were pitching that final day. The Phillies needed to win right. and you needed a little help. You needed the Mets to lose. You guys yep. won the division at that point. You're driving to the ballpark and you notice a little league game or a, a group of youngsters playing baseball, yep. right? Do you, do you remember? Yep. Tell that story yep. about uh, what well, that made yeah, you think I, about. I'm trying to think of the streets, but it's just uh, right by the highway. Okay. Right, right where that goes over to New Jersey. That's the, what is that? That's not the school kill, but it's. Uh, 95, uh, I-95. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a bunch of little kids there. And I'm like, wow, you know, not too long ago. Well, I guess kind of long ago, but you know, that's what I was doing. Right. Right. And right down the street is, you know, is, is a world series going to happen? I mean, it, it's, you know, and it just, it just kind of puts it all together. Right. But it keeps you in a, in a really healthy, humble place. Yeah. Right. And how simple, how simple this game is, but how difficult it is. Right. No doubt. But, and there's a lot in between. There's a whole lot in between.
talk a little bit about uh, so you guys win the division in 07 and that was such a uh, for this city it was it was cathartic you know I mean it hadn't <laughs> happened in it's only you know it hadn't happened since what 93 would have been the time before um, that's a long time that's a generation uh, of people that were waiting and, and wanting right. uh, and you guys were able to deliver that um, I remember the city and I remember exactly where I was when I looked down and the Mets were getting smoked and, and you guys started a half hour later and you guys started, right. uh, you know, exactly. and got out to an early lead. That was what? the advantage. That yeah. was the it, advantage. It, it I think. was mentally sure. Because I know I can remember walking out to the bullpen knowing the game had already started. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, there was a score already that had yeah. taken place. Right. Seven runs yeah, first early, game. right? In, in in the Mets game, yeah. so it was like, okay, good. Now you know the Marlins are doing their job, right? Yep. But now the Phillies need to do their job, right? And to me, that's that was my mindset. Okay, I you know a, a little piece of me is like, all right, that's what's happening. But now you really got to stay focused on what is your task today? Mm -hmm. Are you going to go out and give up seven? Or are you going to go out and pitch, right? And to me, that's what I really had to focus on. But like I said, knowing that in advance was was helpful. You were in your 19th season in the big leagues at that point. And I wonder, were there nerves? Were there butterflies oh, there's on always, that there's, day? There's always nerves, always. And to you know, I look at it as saying, you know, if you're not nervous, something's wrong. I mean, because that's a human instinct that we have. You know, if you don't get nervous, uh, if you don't have butterflies, you know, you got to chuck yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I like you said, I always had some sort of butterflies, but I knew as, as when the game started, they went away because you were focused on so many other things that that really didn't come into play. You, and if you, you and, and if you did. If it, if it continued to bother you, to me, then that became a distraction. Right, right. So you the mental the word. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm sorry. You used the word focus a couple of different times in, right. in the last couple of answers. And I know that was such a big yeah. part of your yeah. success. Uh, yeah. Harvey Dorfman, who, who we, yeah. we all know in Philadelphia, know an awful lot about, was a big part of your career. And you credit him as, as a yeah. big part of your the success, mental, don't you? The mental part of the game. Um, you know, and I, that's probably where I struggled early in my career. Right. And, uh, this book came out, the mental guide to baseball and, you know, read this book and thought I understood it. And then I had the opportunity in 1991 to go visit Harvey for two and a half days. And boy, he really kind of opened the book up even more to me, but it opened my mind to look at what's going on inside of my mind and how I was handling things and approaching things and maybe some of the negativity that I had. And I needed to learn how to get rid of that, release that, let it go and focus on the things that I could control and the things that I couldn't control just to kind of let them go. And then when there's noise, how do you make that quiet and learning, you know, and that was a while, that was a process that took a while to, to learn how to do, but you have yet for me, you have to have an awareness to it. What is that? What is that awareness? And what are my thoughts? And what are my feelings? How does that make me feel? So learning that and understanding that, then I can start to work on it. And, you know, it took a lot of work. Um, but it was it was fun work. And it was a challenge that I had to work on for the rest of my career. But it was it, it eventually just became part of my day each day what you know what and so it, it, it would be like anybody <laughs> excuse me that has a you know say you have a job that you just go in and you do the same thing every day well that's kind of how I was with my job mm -hmm. and you think oh well really you did the yeah you know, but that I, I got on a on a schedule and when you know the day I pitched boy I was really regimented you know, I, you know, I use the clock and uh, all right, from this time to this time, I'm doing this and this time to that time. And that's just how it rolled. And so, you know, even in the World Series game, you know, in game three, when I, you know, the, the game I was fortunate enough to start, you know, we had a rain delay. Boy, and it was just like, 
somebody was just like putting me through the ringer because <laughs> we'll test you know you. <laughs> yeah because yeah because once you know once you get to game time um the phillies have no control over right. it and the league takes or the umpires the league took control of it and you know they've got the the airport weather the local weather the national weather and they're getting all these for well we're gonna you know we might have a window we might not have a window you know this you know well we're gonna we're just try for a half hour you know and i'm a little bit you know, i'm telling rich doobie i'm like look I'm going to need 35 minutes. You know, I'm afraid they're going to just say, okay, let's go. Right. And I'm like, I can't do that. You know, I need time. I'm older. I need time to get, you know, get loose and all that. And it's cold and damp. And, you know, so I, I was like a bull in a China shop. I remember that. And boy, I had, you know, I wasn't feeling good. Plus I had butterflies. I mean, it just was, uh, it was, it was not fun. I was, I was miserable at that yeah. point until the game started. And then you were ready to go. Yeah. 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 Hey, do you play 25 years in the big leagues if you don't meet Harvey Dorfman, do you think? That's a great question. And you're the first person to ever ask that. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Yes. Um, you know what? It would have been a struggle. I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how prevalent he was with my career. And you know, he, you know, he opened my eyes to me having to make adjustments, but I had to do the work and he would tell me, I'm not doing the work for you. I right. can't tell you what it is. You have to figure it out, but he's the one that challenged me. And, you know, he was a brash, a brash man. I mean, he was, he was a Northeasterner yep. and uh, he had this raspy voice um loved him to death though and, and i can still hear his voice in my head you know talking and you know there were many times after you know i met with him that we would talk on the phone um and you know during my career i i could go back to a lot of those phone conversations that were just so helpful yeah it, it's amazing i it's so interesting to hear that side of the the game because you know Ball players, you guys are great athletes. You're 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 there for a reason because you're athletically gifted. But there is so much more to the game of baseball than mm -hmm. just being able to do yeah. it physically. And yep. I think probably more, even more so for pitchers uh, than, yep. than maybe hitters who, who pitchers have that chance every once every five days kind of thing. Right. Um, right. You really have to kind of stay within yourself if you're going. Well, to, and you have to understand how to. You have to learn how to deal with failure. Yeah. Because it really, if you think about it, that's what the game of baseball sure is. is. It's about failure yep. and how you as an individual, but also you as a team deal with that failure. Yeah. And if you just let that permeate and, and, you know, I mean, you, I've been on teams and there's actually, there's teams playing right now that, you know, there, I, I think it's the, the Orioles have 37 wins. The Diamondbacks have 36, 37, 38 wins. They've, they've gotten used to losing. Yeah, right? then, you know, they can say they're a bad baseball team. Maybe they are, but they've got in this mode of losing and accepting losing. So how do we change that? So, again, organizations are going, we got to change this culture, right? You hear that talked about a lot in all sports. We got to change this culture, um, you know, but when, you know, when you get complacent and you're OK with losing, that's not OK. Yeah. So, but it, it you know, it starts with you as an individual, but then it's a team. And you, know, you got to stop that festering. And, and, and I, on the flip side, that's why there are some, some organizations that always seem to be in the mix. You know, it's yep. because they have this this culture of winning on, on yep. the flip side, which is what every organization, I believe, is, is attempting to do. And we heard that here in Philadelphia in the mid 90s, uh, you know, into the early 2000s. Got to change that culture up a little bit. Yep. And uh, yep. and they were able to do that. And then you guys well, went on yeah. the run. It's the organizations that stick to it. Yeah. And say, look, you know, if this isn't going to work with this guy or group of guys, we need to, you know, not that they're bad people, but it's just, it's, it's just not working. So we've right. got to change that. And yeah. how do we change that? We've got to, we've got to, you know, subtract and we've got to add. And that's where I think, you know, a guy by the, uh, Pat Gill, like Pat Gillick was so good at, yeah, he could evaluate talent, but he also, evaluated people yeah he could read the room <laughs> exactly he yeah. was really really good with that and he, i'm sure he had a lot of people around him 
that were, you know, the same way. So, um, but yeah, I, I've had the opportunity to play uh, under Pat twice in right. two different organizations and saw how he changed things. Right. And, you know, in Seattle, I had him in Seattle and, you know, we didn't get to a world series, but we won a lot of baseball games and brought a lot of joy to a community that never really had, you know, winning, winning baseball. Yeah. Uh, and then we got old and, you know, and the other, that the other trick to front office is, you know, all right, old and injuries, you know, how do we deal with, with that? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's always a tough one too, because you've got, you know, players that are, you know, the, the face of the organization, you know, I'll give you an example, Albert Pujols. Yep. Right. You know, look what happened in St. Louis and look back in the, in the day, you know, when you were working with the Phillies and I was playing with the Phillies, you know, it was Ryan Howard, you know, when he go back to those times when his contract was coming up and Albert Pujols was in, they were both kind of in the same space. Right. Yeah. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, you know, the Phillies kept Ryan and it turned out to be great. And the Cardinals let Albert move on. And, mm-hmm. but Albert's still playing, um, you know, hanging on and, you know, he's with the Dodgers now and things are still great. But I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you look at things, you know, the whys, the hows, and, you know, and Ryan Howard, you know, was a fan favorite. You know, how do you get, you know, now you're pulling at heartstrings, not only with the fans, but with the organization. Yeah. It's probably one of the most difficult things that we just saw it in yep. Chicago. The Chicago Cubs just went through exactly yep. what the Philadelphia yep. Phillies had to go through after yep. they win in 08 a couple of years later. They're making all these decisions. Well, the Cubs just made those decisions and parted ways with a lot of yep. icons, uh, you know, in their franchise that brought them yep. a World Series. Um, yep. It is. It's interesting and it's difficult, but it's yep. it's what you have to do to be to be successful. All right. Exactly. We only got a couple more minutes. I want to ask you two more things. Uh, yeah, you wrote a book. Um, just tell me I can't. Uh, yep. And there's a lot of great anecdotes in that in that book. And I just uh, there was a couple that um, that I wanted you to tell, you know, quickly. Uh, the, you, obviously, physically, we know what you did on the field, but you talked about the mental side of the game as well, but there were, there are so many little things that happen in a baseball game that I don't think just your casual fan even understands. And one of the things that you talked about in the book is how you used to change on the fly. You would, you would signal your catcher that you were going to throw an out a fastball in the outside corner, as opposed to the inside corner, which is what he called. And you would do that as you were, in your motion. Am I right? With, with the yeah, I, yeah, I had, if I had a catcher that had the ability to pay attention to my, to my body. Yeah. And that would just be, you know, I just kind of smile and Mid delivery. Uh, that would change. <laughs> yeah. I could do that. Or I, when, as I was starting, yeah, I would do that. And I've actually had, um, at times I would have hitters, perceptive hitters. I don't know why they were looking at my face, but they'd say, why are you smiling on the mound? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, like a deer in the headlights. You caught me. Well, they didn't know what I was, you know, they just looked at it. I was smiling. Right. But I was really changing location. I learned that one from Nolan Ryan. That, I, to me, that is such a cool little yep. thing that you guys, yep. uh, that you guys develop that if, if you're not, Hey, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. But B, if you don't right. understand the game, I mean, you know, right. the, the you know the ability to throw on the inside corner versus the outside corner is such an important part of being able right. to pitch in the big leagues. Uh, it may not seem yep. like a whole lot, but it's it's huge. And yep. and to to be able to to communicate like that with uh, with one right. of your catchers, well, look, is really cool. that 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 deletes all the excess of shaking. Yes, no, and yeah. the thing in baseball. Um, you know, if you shake yes, and then you shake no, that means yes, I want the pitch. No, I don't want the location. So why would I do that to make, you know, and if you got a smart hitter, he knows that's a fastball coming. So now I can cover that on both sides of the plate. So I don't have to go through all the antics with my catcher as long as he's on board with me. It's it's such a, it's such a cool thing. And I I wonder (laughs) You know, and, and, and you talked about it, uh, how when you would change teams that you every once in a while, you know, you might be facing someone that that knew that little trick. So you would just right. drop a curveball in right. smile right. and drop a curveball, show yep. your teeth yep. <laughs> just to exactly. keep them off balance. Right. Exactly. Keep everybody honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to so play the game. Yeah. 
So great. All right. And the other story I want you to tell real quick is the, the David Justice story. And, and I know you've okay. told this one many times, but yeah. uh, but for folks that don't know the story, again, it just kind of it humanizes what it is you guys are out there doing. I mean, you're playing yep. a game of baseball. You're trying to win. They're trying to win. Yep. David Justice, a great hitter in his day. Uh, and you had a yep. battle with him one day. So yep. go ahead. Uh, you tell the yep. story. He was, he, I was with Seattle. He was in Cleveland. It was one of these at-bats. It was foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. I mean, it was seven, eight in a row. And after I threw the pitch and he fouled it off, I walked towards home plate with my glove up to get another ball. And I said, David, what do you want? And he <laughs> looks at me and he goes, fast. He says it with his mouth, fastball. I said, okay. I turned around and I couldn't. I am. I couldn't, you know, think that and then throw something else. My, my mind just so I did. I threw a fastball. Next pitch, and now we had a several run lead. Okay. Okay. I wouldn't have done this in a you know sure. a two to one game. Sure. And uh, he hit it over the fence, center field <laughs> fence, and he started laughing. You know, he's laughing all the way around. He couldn't believe that I threw the pitch. He hit it all that. He hit home run. He, you know, he got all the way, he's still laughing all the way around the home plate and he gets in the dugout and he, you know, told all of his teammates, you know, you won't believe what he did. He, he told me he was going to throw a fastball. I threw, he, I, he threw it and I hit a home run and, you know, he was in the dugout. He was laughing, you know, and, you know, every time I see him as I live in California now, and every time I see him, um, that story comes up and we laugh about it, but, you know, I, I've done that you know, many a times with hitters, you know, again, it's a mind game. And if I can get in your head a little bit yep. um, and to get that advantage, you know, then I have the advantage. So that in that case, it didn't work out, but you know what? And you, know, you look at my numbers over the course of my career, I gave up a lot of home runs. So it was a solo home run, no biggie. And we got a story out of it. We can laugh about it. That's right. And you know what? More often than not, uh, that mental game worked in your favor. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. you were able to use that yep. mental game to, for, for great yep. success over the yep. course of your career. Oh, there were, you know, you don't, you can't imagine how many times I like to go out early in the day and run, mm-hmm. you know, and the visiting team might be out taking batting practice, early batting practice. And I'm trying to think of this guy's name. He was a second baseman for for the Yankees at the time I was in Baltimore and I'm doing my running and I'm like, man, every time I throw a change up away, you just flare it over down the right field line. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'm hitting that ball. And I said, well, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to change something, you know, but I had this conversation with him. Right. Right. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to start throwing it on the plate below the zone. And all of a sudden, he didn't know what to do with it. And he started rolling over it, ground ball, ground ball. But, I mean, it's just Kevin Seitzer is another guy. When he was in back in the day when he was in Milwaukee, I couldn't get this guy out to save my life. And I'd tell Danny Wilson, just tell him what's coming. I don't care because I can't get him out. Mark Kotze was the same way. And I, I just started throwing him. Fastball away, fastball away, fastball away, fastball. And I'd, I'd get on the mound and I'd tell the catcher, I'm for the whole game today, I don't care what the situation is, I'm throwing him all fastballs down and away because that's the least place he can do damage with it, yeah. Yeah. right? So I'd be on the mound and he'd put down a couple pitches. I'd, nope, nope, yep, next pitch. Nope, nope, nope. I might step off, step back on. i throw, kept, and all of a sudden I start with throwing one pit, what I was doing with my head shaking, and you know, now it made him think, but I just kept throwing the same pitch, <laughs> driving these guys nuts. It, it reminds exactly. me a little bit that we've talked to you know a handful of uh, guys over the course of the last couple months, and uh, one of the things that people talked about when they were trying to get Tony Gwynn out was that they, yeah. they gave up trying to make the perfect pitch, they just started throwing Throw down the middle, middle because it was yeah. like, you know what. He, he can hit everything, so I might as well yep. just try to throw some strikes yeah, down we, the middle. Yeah, we, we would. We had those same conversations about Tony Gwynn, but we also had those same conversations about Frank Thomas. Wow. Um, you know, you, the guys that like to stay inside the ball, you know, you throw it down the middle, You they have to make a choice. Yeah. So if you're throwing it in or away, you've already made their choice. They just react to it. So, yeah, it's just funny how, you know, when you, when you, when, 
when you got guys that are kind of manhandling you, 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 you try to come up with different ways. Yeah. Well, that's what you got to do. It's the game of a game of baseball, the game of adjustments. Yeah. All right. We started this conversation by talking about uh, a parade back in 1980 that you were a part of as a fan, but uh, obviously we'll end this conversation uh, at the parade uh, 2008 that you were a part of as a player. And, yeah. you know, I can't even imagine what that must be like to just kind of put that in perspective in your life that, uh, you know, here you are just outside your hometown uh, playing uh, for the Phillies, winning their second championship in their history, their very long and storied history, uh, and yep. being a part yep. of that celebration that day, which was I, to the, I, gives me chills right now thinking about it. I can't imagine how it felt for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, a very emotional day that I, I had no expectation of that happening. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're exhausted after playing and, you know, all the antics after the game and staying up and hanging out with your teammates and all that. But, you know, going to the parade, I didn't really expect a whole lot. And, uh, you know, we had our little secret little place where we got on the buses and they took us to the floats and we got on the floats and we're kind of above, uh, you know, Independence Hall and, you know, there weren't many people out. It's like, oh, this, you know, this is, you know, what, what are we doing? This is kind of crazy. And then we make a turn and we go down through this little street and go up underneath the tunnel and all of a sudden come around Independence Hall and, you know, Broad Street's just a sea yeah. of people. It was just, I mean, it was unbelievably emotional. Uh, the happiness that, you know, you saw with people. I mean, literally there are people sitting on the curb crying, yep. you know, and, you know, when you start to think about it, you're like, wow, this is, this has really, this winning the world series has touched so many people in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, and as I've been back to Philadelphia several times since then, um, you know, everybody's got a story about where they were when the games were being played, they were at the parade or they couldn't get to the parade because public transportation broke down yep. or whatever it was, yeah. or they got halfway there and they hitchhiked and whatever it was. But I mean, and to me, that's the fun of it all. And, and that's where you, you create that connection with the fans. Um, and, you know, and it's just, and everybody, you know, it's a day when everybody's happy yeah right everybody's yeah it was a chamber of commerce kind of day weather-wise yeah. and uh and that or, yeah you're right that scene it was uh it was euphoric then, yeah, yeah yeah and then as you get down by the park to the stadium i mean you couldn't see the grass in the park yeah it was just people you know i mean it's like how many you know this is like, you know they said what two million people Something like that yeah. i mean it was every bit of that and you know, you get into the stadium, and then we went over to, to Lincoln Field or over uh, the Eagles Field, the Lincoln Field, and it was crazy over there. <laughs> and but I mean, I'll tell you what: at the end of that day, talk about exhausted. Yeah, I mean, you know, the culmination of playing and the World Series and the emotions, and I mean, it was all worth it. Believe me, it was all well worth it. But I'll tell you what: the the parade was as for me was as big as winning the world series. It was really cool. Yeah. Really cool to share that with, uh, the, with the Philadelphia community and the fan base and yeah, very special. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I can't help but think that had you not gone on to be a big league ball player and then, you know, taken a different path in your life, that perhaps you would have been one of those 2 million people during a month because you were when you were 18. Yeah. So why yeah. not when you were 38 yeah. or whatever you were? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It would have been, the, but it, you know what? Uh, glad that you weren't glad you weren't down on street level. Glad you were up there <laughs> yeah. on the float. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, Jamie, I knew this would be a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes and, uh, and telling some stories uh, about your your storied career because it certainly was that um, I was lucky enough to to get a chance to spend a year with you on the road as we were broadcasting together and and get to know you uh, not just as a player but as a person and uh, as great of a player as you were you know I can easily say a better person and it, it was so much fun 
being a part of that with you. We miss you certainly over here in Philadelphia, but uh, I know you're enjoying that life out there in California. It's not all that bad, right? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying my life out there, but I will share with you. I can get my contacts in all by myself though. I was going to ask you that. All right. So that's, you brought it up. That's so a I'm little gonna, side story. Yeah. So, so when Jamie and I were broadcasting together, I, I've been wearing contact lenses since I was in like eighth grade and you just had gotten your contact lenses as we were broadcasting and you, you struggled, struggled. to put them in your struggled eyes. Struggled mightily. <laughs> so I would get a phone call in my hotel room when we were on the road. Hey Murph, you mind coming down and help me put my contact lenses? In? Jimmy, yeah. I gotta be honest. I tell this story all the time because yeah. people, people think it's hysterical. <laughs> they love it. I would come oh, down do and I would help you. I, yep. would, I would actually put yep. your contact lenses in your yep. eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, was, I'm glad yeah. to see you've grown to be able to do that now, too. Exactly. I'm a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's it, it certainly that's a fun story to remember. They were they were good times. They certainly were. Uh, well, like I said, Jamie, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks My for pleasure. sharing your glove stories with the folks uh, in and around Philadelphia. Uh, like I said, we miss you here in Philly, but uh, glad to see you're doing well out there in California. And hopefully we'll see you soon. All right. All right. Miss y'all. And thanks for having me on today. All right. Jamie Moyer joining us here on Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app and the great folks at Red Robin as well. We'll be right back right after this. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice-cold beer, or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go, delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app. And once again, we welcome in Larry Boa as we relive the 1980 championship season. And wow, I'll tell you, we have moved into the month of September. How quickly the baseball season goes when you're reliving it uh, you know, just a little bit yeah. at a time. But it was crunch time, Larry, as you guys head into September. September 1st, you're in San Francisco playing the Giants at Candlestick Park. Uh, the Giants, pretty good team at the time, 66 and 65 you guys were nine games over 500 at 69 and 60 however you had just come up the uh the west coast from san diego in a game right. that you lost on uh, uh the, the previous day on sunday afternoon right. and things were not all uh well things weren't all going all that well for your team and and management was going to let you know it right well murph you know a lot of things that you look back on your career you have to think about what happened, but on this one, I will, I'll never forget this one because we had played in San Diego and Gary Maddox to me, who's as good a center fielder as I've ever seen. He lost the ball in the sun in San Diego with no sunglasses on. And I guess that was the, uh, the icing on the cake because Paul Owens was on the trip. And of course, Dallas was our manager and they were very, very mad. And uh, in fact, I remember checking in in San Francisco and you can, I said, Hey Pope and no answer, no reply. And so the next day they called a meeting and Paul Owens led the meeting. And you talk about going up and down every locker and, and chastising us. You guys have never won anything. You think you're better than you are. You're reading your press clippings. You've never gotten to the dance. You've had good years, but you've never got over the hump. I mean, he undressed us. It was such a bad meeting that the players we called up, we had got to extend the roster to 40. Mm -hmm. He didn't want them in the meeting because they weren't there all year. So why should they take that? But he yeah. he went up and down. He went to every locker and tell you what you didn't do right. And um, it had a lasting effect on our ball club. And we and anytime you go to Candlestick, Murph, that was a tough place to play. The yeah. wind, uh, and it was cold. And it, we knew we had a, a big series there. And after that meeting, it was like, we better start winning more games and playing better. We, we basically gave that game in San Diego away. 
Yeah, and 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 there weren't games to give away at the time. I mean, the, the right. race was so tight. You begin the month of September, one half game out of first place in the NL East. Pittsburgh had the half game lead, but the Expos and the Phillies are tied at a half game back. So you know you've got three teams that have a chance to win this division easily. Whoever is going to play better in September is going to win this division. Uh, Pope knew that. Dallas knew that, and you guys obviously knew that as well. But. They wanted right. to make sure you knew it as you headed into San Francisco, right? There's no question. And, and you know, being on the West Coast, Murph, you have a chance. You see the East Coast teams, and when you see a team like Pittsburgh that already yeah. won or Montreal, I'm not saying it puts more pressure on you, but you're saying in your mind, we better win this game because we're going to run out of games. And, yeah. again, going out to San Francisco wasn't easy to play out there. And as you alluded to, that team – it has some good baseball players, no great players, but good baseball players. And every time we went out there, it was tough to play out there. But this was a game that we had to have. And uh, that meeting obviously gave us a little shove there in the right direction. Little motivation. All right. Well, yeah. you also had Steve Carlton on the hill for this game versus Eddie Whitson. It was the Giants who got things started first. Uh, they would double the lead off the game. Carlton threw a wild pitch and uh, they would advance. He got a strikeout, but then Jim Wolford would double and it was quickly one nothing Giants. And you're probably thinking about, oh, God, we're going to have another table overturned inside the clubhouse if we if we lose this one. But top of the second, Philadelphia gets right back at it. McBride singles, uh, trio singles. You grounded out to second, but the run scores, doing the little right. things, getting the runs across. Right. That's what you guys That's did. That's what we did, yeah, yes. You really did. And, you know, going back and looking at these games so often, that is the way you are able to get back into a game by the little bit of the fundamentals, right? Right. I mean, you know, everybody basically knew their role, Murph. We knew the guys in the middle, Murph, uh, Schmidt and Bull were the big power guys. And if I hit towards the top or even if I hit seventh or eighth, my job was to get on base and create havoc to get to the top of the order. And it, it wasn't one of those things where somebody had to tell you, hey, make sure you get the guy. You knew what you had to do when you got in the box. Each guy had a role to do. Uh, I knew I wasn't hitting home runs. Booney knew he wasn't hitting home runs. So there was things that we had to do to help our baseball team win. And, and it didn't, we felt it was a good thing. If you hit a ground ball with a man on third, you got the run in. It wasn't a matter of, oh, my average dropped. It was, you, you have a job to do and do it. And that's yeah. how we play. Yeah, that's how you play. It's a, it's a team game, the team aspect yes. of the game, for sure. Um, all right, so Phils would add one in the top of the third, RBI single by Schmidt, and the Giants would tie it up in the bottom of the fourth after an error by Pete Rose allowed the uh, the base runner to score. But in the fifth, you guys get it right back. Two outs, Lazinski singles, Manny Trio singles, then you single, both runners score four to two. And we touched on this uh, uh, last week when you were on, but let me ask about it again. August and September for you in 1980 offensively were two of the best months of your career offensively. You, you look back and you look at your numbers, man, you were coming up with big hits left and right. Yeah. I, 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 I had made a couple comments obviously in the paper that were misquoted and the fans let me know about it. And I figured, Hey, I better produce here because they're going to be on me for a while. And they were on me for a while, but it, it, to me, it, that motivated me. Murph. I was one of those guys that played with a chip on my shoulder and so every game I went up there, in fact, the, the announcers used to say, now, if I went over one, hey, guys, let's just start booing Bo again because he'll get hot here. <laughs> and I did. I, those were my two best months. And, uh, and I look back at that. And, and looking back in that San Francisco series, it seemed like every time I went out there, you know, I had a lot of people, family come because Sacramento's um, mm -hmm. an hour or half there. And so I tried put uh, – maybe I put too much pressure on myself, but I just – Every time they came out there, I wanted to do good. And because I had, sure. I didn't lead just two passes. It was 25, 30, 35 passes. And, uh, you know, so it, it was nice to do a, have a good game out there with your family there and your friends. But that was a game that stands out in my mind. And to this day, when Paul Owens was alive, I used to ask him, I said, what, what made you have that meeting besides that, that bad play we had in, in San Diego? He says, well, first of all, I knew Carlton was pitching. I'm not going to have a meeting if I know the number five starters pitching. So Pope had all this stuff planned, a very intelligent general manager and knew what buttons to push. And he, like you said, like I said, he, he knew Carlton was pitching. 
and we're probably going to be a good chance we're going to win the game. I, 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 that's to me, that's so interesting. That's fascinating. That that the the mindset to think that deeply into when I'm going to explode <laughs> on these guys. Uh, it, it, it it's great because hey, ultimately it worked. I mean, certainly Pope, it looks like it worked. You know, Pope, Pope um, was he, the best. I'll tell you, yeah. Pope was a great great GM. Yeah, yeah, great baseball man for sure. All right, bottom of the seventh, Giants would tie it up. But in the eighth, you guys right back at it with uh, one on, one out. You single, move up to second on a wild pitch. Then Booney singles, knocks you in. Then Carlton would single, and he would move up on a wild pitch. Greg Gross reached on an error, and Carlton scores on that 6-4 Phillies. I, I bring that up because Steve Carlton, not only going to go nine innings in this one, uh, you know, you had all the faith in the world that, that Dallas had all the faith that he could go nine innings. But he used to help himself with the bat all the time, right? Uh, hey, Murph, he was a real good hitter for a pitcher. I mean, this guy, if you good at bats, uh, there's a lot of times he went up there with nobody on, and you can see he would flail at some pitches. But if there was guys in scoring position or the game was tight, he would give you a quality at bat. He had a great pickoff move. He was he fielded his position unbelievable, and we all know what kind of pitcher he was. So he, yeah. was, he was one of the elite pitchers that could do everything, whole runners, if you needed a sacrifice bunny, he could do that. If you needed a base hit, he could swing the bat. He was a very talented individual, and, and we know the Hall of Fame pitcher that he was. Sure, yeah. You know, he, he got lots of wins just because of how talented that left arm was. However, right. he helped himself win, too, in a lot of different no, ways. And pitchers, no question. you know, hey, why not? If you can do it, do it. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see more of that nowadays, for sure. Uh, all right, so Carlton goes all nine. You guys win the game. So Pope allows you to have dinner that night in the clubhouse, doesn't turn your tables over, uh, which is right. nice. And the Pirates lose that day. Expos, Phil's win. So on September 1st, going into September 2nd, a three-way tie at the at the top of the NL East. I have to imagine. I know fans are, and I know the media are, but are players and coaches scoreboard watching at that point? Oh, there's no question. We, we, in fact, I started scoreboard watching the last couple of weeks of August. I mean, it, when guys say they don't scoreboard watch, they might be telling the truth, but when you're sitting in the dugout and then the big out-of-town scoreboard's up there, you see the scores. Yeah. And, you know, you might want to not look or – they used to have how many runners were on. And you say, oh, who's pitching now? Or you, you watch that. The team that snuck up on everybody, really, we knew Pittsburgh was good. It's Montreal. They had yeah. all the young talent. And they were finally putting it together. And as you just said, it, it ended up being a three-team race. And we knew we were in a dogfight the rest of the year. Yeah, and there would be some pretty big games coming up against Montreal in, in a couple of weeks, and I guarantee you we're going to talk about those as well as we move through the month of September 1980 and relive the Phillies' uh, first world championship season with Larry Bow. All right, Larry, that'll do it for today. Thanks for being with us, and uh, I don't know. I'm getting excited. See how this thing yep. turns out. <laughs> it's fun watching this this replay and, and talking about things that happened, but, it, it, you know, one, one or two things that you mentioned, it, it – it brings my memory back, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun going through this, Murph. It certainly is. All right. Well, Barry, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, Murph. Take care. Glove Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice-cold beer or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go, delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and Red Robin and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.